For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. Rebecca Damon is the National Executive Vice President of SAG-AFTRA and President of SAG-AFTRA's New York Local. She's also a member of our New York State AFL-CIO Executive Council. Rebecca is joining us on the podcast over the phone from New York City to talk about the important issues facing members of her union. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for taking the time to come on. Oh, hi there, Darcy. And um, so, nice to be here. and by the way, I should point out, I'm a very proud card-carrying member of SAG after myself. Uh, you certainly are, and we are proud to have you. So for anyone not familiar with SAG-AFTRA, this is the Screen Actors Guild and American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. So Rebecca, can you start by giving our listeners a sense of who your members are? Oh, absolutely. Um, SAG-AFTRA members are actors, broadcasters, recording artists, singers, dancers, stunt performers, voiceover artists, and all kinds of other media professionals. Uh, Our members work in film, television, commercials, uh, animation, uh, video games, um, radio, promos, audiobooks, sound recordings, music videos, all kinds of different things. So we are the faces and the voices that entertain and inform America and, and the world. So I would imagine that a priority issue for your members is how their jobs are changing or may change as a result of new technology. And one aspect of new technology is the the ability to essentially create digital replicas of actors, their image, their voice, and then use those replicas perhaps without the knowledge or consent of the actor. Absolutely. We're approaching these issues really with a a multi-pronged approach, uh, as we do with a lot of our large-scale challenges. So First, we're, we're staying on top of it in terms of all the developments and making sure that our members are educated about what is happening out there. That is a big piece to it. We are working with our collective bargaining agreements, our CBAs, uh, to either put in new CBAs where applicable or uh, new proposals within our long-standing industry-wide agreements to make sure that these technological changes that are impacting our, our work and our, our, our wages are, di- are directly uh, in our collective bargaining agreements. We're dealing with things like uh, vocal art- artificial intelligence, uh, scanning performance, all this. We've been working with the industry as well as the government uh, in terms of updating legislation. So we have a really very active member and staff base uh, in terms of our government affairs and public policy committee and department. Uh, Our Chief Deputy General Counsel, uh, Jeffrey Bennett, is constantly working with me and others to make sure that we are the absolute warriors in this space. SIGAFRA has been actually working with the AFL-CIO on the future of work. Uh, We recently hosted uh, uh, our National President, Gabrielle Carteris, and Secretary-Treasurer of uh, the National AFL-CIO, Liz Schuler. Uh, recently hosted our second annual Labor Innovation and Technology Summit in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Important work. So we're here really to talk about how our work is being dramatically changed by technology. Most importantly, how it is disrupting and dislocating people. We see it, we feel it. A lot of people are talking about it. Uh, today, this summit and the engagement of labor from across the country uh, at what is CES. They used to be called the Consumer Electronics Show, but now it's just CES, which is a huge gathering 
of people that are thriving on the business of consumer technologies. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a huge event. 170,000 people attended it. Oh, my God. But why it was important for uh, Sagatra and labor to be at the front of this, you know, and Mm -hmm. that is we're moving through this huge technological revolution. And for Sagatra, because our industry is so close to so many of the technological advances it's key and critical that we be in the room but it's it's critical that all labor really be at this point you know Mm -hmm. we're dealing with a moment in time where the speed of technology really across every industry is accelerating in a way that is just leading to huge profound changes in the way workers work in the way people live their day-to-day lives and so I, I firmly believe, and I, I know uh, all the leaders of shag After really share the belief that unions have this critical role to play by helping not just guide some of these, these changes, but really the, the cultural, social, and political change that's around it. Mm-hmm. And to make sure that we're in that conversation. Well, that's great that you're, you know, way out in front of it on on that. That's so important. So let's talk about the film and tax credit program that was extended last year to, to, to now 2024, which we are fighting along with you to get it extended again this year. What kind of difference has that program made in terms of film production and union jobs here in New York State? And why is another extension of that program so important? Well, first off, uh, uh, Darcy, I really just have to thank you and the New York State AFL-CIO uh, for being just right with us on this. Uh, in particular, uh, you know, President Mario Fuento has just been, uh, uh, well, he is amazing and he ha- really does so much for the labor movement, but uh, he has been a, a real partner in this uh, for me and for SAG-AFTRA. Um, We've also been working with a a coalition of a lot of our uh, friends and fellow entertainment unions like the DGA, the WGA East, uh, IATSE, especially 52 and 600, Teamsters 817, all these folks, because this is really at the end of the day, uh, first and foremost, it is uh, the film and television tax credit is a jobs program good jobs, union jobs. Mm -hmm. And in 2018, we had record jobs. And in 2019, we had record jobs. And that's wonderful. Uh, In 2019, we actually had 73 episodic productions shooting here in New York State. And extending the credit for multiple years is actually about making sure that there are good paying jobs uh, in New York and in the U.S. Yeah. Since 2004, the film and TV production jobs are there up 55%. They're growing 4.5 times faster than the overall New York state economy. And because of that, you know, we're hosting this record number of TV series, which is good for New York. There's more production means more space that's required. There have been sound stages built. These are real union jobs again. And they've been added really since uh, 2016 and many more in the pipeline. I think it's important for all the listeners, though, who may not be related to the industry, for them to understand that the return on investment on this from these incentives just in 2017 as a a good stat was estimated to be $1.18, which what that means is that for every dollar of the credit that's dispersed, New York State and local municipalities Mm -hmm. are receiving $1.18 in total tax revenue. So it benefits not just the jobs in our industry, but all the other related jobs, all the small businesses in cities, in neighborhoods, as production is making decisions about where it's going to be for the next several years, uh, we want them to be uh, with us. And, you know, the people are really talking about it and, and noticing it, too. And we had um, 
some scenes from Succession shot here right across the street from us by the Capitol. Around the Empire State Plaza this summer, you may have seen some film crews in town shooting for HBO's Succession. Newsstand Capitol correspondent. And you know, the local news picks up on it. We've got another um, crew coming in for a series in um, Troy, New York, near us. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it, you know, people can actually see it. And I think that helps, too, with, you know, you naturally want to watch the show, right? You want to see your area highlighted. Um, so it's definitely creating a buzz uh, all oh, across the state. Wanna, you want to watch the show, but it does something that long after that. I, I, I live in, in Manhattan and, you know, Sex in the City has been off for mm-hmm. a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got friends in New Jersey. Sopranos has been off for a number of years. But people are still going to visit the locations and patronize the businesses where a lot of these things uh, are yeah, shot. Exactly it's, right. City and Soprano tour. Uh, there's all these kinds of things that go on, and they really do great things for local economies long after the production is left. If it, it's a show that catches on, so uh, it can actually be uh, a great lightning in the bottle for small businesses. It absolutely is. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit here. Um, Sangaftra has been a leader in combating sexual harassment and has a number of initiatives in this area. Can you um, talk to me about how this came about? Tell us about some of the work the union's been doing to address this. You bet. Um, so uh, I think everybody recalls uh, what a lot of people in our industry uh, refer to as the Weinstein moment. Allegations by numerous women who say the Hollywood mogul sexually harassed them. His alleged victims over nearly three decades include and, uh, stars like I remember Ashley exactly Judd where I was when I got a now, phone call from our president, our national president, Gabrielle Carteris, who... Um, uh, remarkable woman, worked in the industry for years. People always know her from 90210, but mm-hmm. she's worked and done in so many things. But she is at her heart uh, a labor activist, a union activist, just a real true leader. And what she said to me when all this was going on, we're going to decide. And, and she was making the decision right in that moment, whether this is a moment or this is a movement for mm-hmm. our industry. And uh, knowing uh, the sheer force of Gabrielle's will, uh, and it's a strong, powerful one, she said to me, I need us to know that if we're going to go all in, that we are going to really have to work to shift what has been centuries long uh, in power balances. Mm -hmm. And uh, she made that decision right in that moment and then took it uh, to our board that we viewed ourselves as making this a, a, a real movement for change for our members, but for the industry at large. So taking that moment, uh, which, you know, that me too moment and trying to translate this into a movement that could change what we do. Uh, 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 President Carteris, uh, as part of the Blue Ribbon Commission on Safety, uh, as part of SAG-AFTRA, established a sexual harassment uh, work group Mm -hmm. uh, immediately following this. And uh, we just really got to work. We, the union established uh, our four pillars of change initiative, um, a code of conduct uh, to really address what is this, you know, uh, toxic workplace culture. And, you know, this business, like so many businesses, really, if you think about it, uh, you have these real power imbalances that that contribute to workplace uh, harassment. And mm-hmm. I think where uh, sag after might be unique is uh, uh, as a labor union, our top three officers uh, are women. And, and right now that's uh, Gabrielle, myself, and uh, Cameron Manheim as our secretary treasurer. And uh, while this is an issue that affects everybody, I wanna say it affects women, men, it affects everybody. Uh, I think because of just our um, um, 
relationship to this issue, I think we were able to uh, really dig deep. So we've put out rules and guidelines and a lot of organizations do that. And I think that's very important. But uh, if you just stop there, and that's where a lot of organizations from a resource perspective, you know, needed to stop. We viewed it as sort of that four-prong approach to go beyond the rules and guidelines to make sure that we were doing a lot of empowerment through education, real expanded intervention, and um, making sure that we build bridges and safety nets. So we've been working with the sag After Foundation, uh, as well as the Actors Fund and some other organizations to make sure that we have more support services. Uh, we have a hotline so that people, uh, a, a safety on set hotline so that people can get uh, help. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. in the case of anything that's an emergency, we still want people to obviously immediately, you know, uh, contact the authorities sure. without sure. law enforcement. Mm -hmm. uh, but for other kinds of services, we want to make sure we have that connection for our members. We issued what uh, was what we call guideline number one uh, to get people to stop uh, uh, meetings in private hotels and residences. And um, I think for a lot of industries, uh, this might be a surprise because that is not a normal business practice if you are uh, in a lot of other uh, businesses, but it really had become a, a long time practice uh, mm -hmm. in our industry because uh, film festivals are around the country, all that kind of stuff. I, I remember uh, somebody who was about to go to a film festival right around the time that we put this out said to me, you don't actually expect us to not meet in, in hotels. And uh, it, it was, it was, it was interesting in the sense that I think getting people to understand that this dynamic is, it leads to a situation mm -hmm. that makes people who are vulnerable already, even more vulnerable. So stopping those meetings and making sure that if in fact they did make to play, take, need to take place, that people could take a support peer with them. And then whenever people felt unsafe to make sure that people would actually report it to the union. So people could say, look, I, I can't do that. So it's a, it's been a, a, a very busy, but very rewarding time because we have been able to see some progress, but, you know, from my perspective, uh, though we've made so much progress, we still know there's a ton of work to be done. Well, I know you recently announced um, intimacy coordinator standards and protocols. Um, and I think that would be interesting to our listeners to first off, if you could explain, uh, they might not be familiar with it. What is an intimacy coordinator and what do they do? Right. Sure. So an intimacy coordinator is an advocate. They're a, a liaison between actors and production, a movement coach a, a, and or maybe a choreographer in terms of nudity and simulated sex and other types of intimate and hyperexposed scenes. Uh, for the listeners, um, for people that work in our industry, uh, nudity and simulated sex often do have an important role in the telling of a story, mm -hmm. whether it's film or television or in the interactive, you know, video game uh, space. So although like those kinds of scenes can really convey, you know, the, the, the strong feelings, the important emotions that, you know, help tell the storyline, we also know that be because of that, uh, there is a really, there is a vulnerability mm -hmm. that comes from when performers have to expose, do this kind of hyper-exposed work. So what an intimacy coordinator does is they act as an advocate. Uh, so they are like a liaison between the actor and a production. And they can make sure that people are, you know, following the safety protocols uh, on set. They can help the director come up 
to realize their vision and how to make that work in a in a safe way. Mm-hmm. And you know, if the director needs it, they might actually help uh, to, with the choreography to make it even more believable while still making it a safe environment for everybody. And it it it, it provides an environment where people really are able to give consent, you know, and that's, that is just critical. And so we have put this forward as a way to deal with scenes that have nudity, simulated sex, uh, or other types of hyper-exposed work, because it's not always work that has that direct connotation. I, uh, uh, we've been working with a lot of, uh, intimacy coordinators, um, uh, as we have been developing this process. And, you know, one of them was conveying a particular scene that had to do with pedophilia. There was nothing that actually happened in the scene, but because of the, the subject matter, uh, the production and the performers wanted to have an intimacy coordinator just to make sure that everybody felt comfortable and understood what was going on and made it a, a safe environment for everybody. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's great. Well, with all that we've covered, it sounds like you must have a very full plate. But here we are with a you know new decade, new year, 2020. What's on the agenda for SAG-AFTRA going into 2020? I cannot believe uh, that here we are. And it's just it's the beginning of 2020. And I feel like in the last month or so, uh, we have uh, uh, done so much. We also had our awards, uh, as we always do in January, the Screen Actors Guilds Awards. That was big. Uh, but we've got a big year still ahead of us. So we're working on the postmortem right of publicity uh, and legislation that's prohibiting the creation and uh, distribution of sexualized deep fakes as part of our efforts to obviously combat uh, industry sexual harassment. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a really busy time in terms of uh, all of this. You know, and we're hearing more and more that term deep fake. Can you explain to our listeners what we're talking about? What does that mean, deep fake? Sure. Sure. So uh, deep fakes are actually uh, uh, when a person where there is either an existing video or, or, or image, uh, there can be deep fakes in different areas where it can be either replaced with somebody else's like likeness or voice. So, you know, everybody uh, might be familiar with the one where there was an Obama appeal video out there uh, that was where people were able to see um uh, suddenly Obama saying something that he hadn't said. But growing technology means there's a chance the videos you see on social media could be fake. We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time, even if they would never say those things. But here's the thing. So, President Obama never says that. In fact, it was Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these things are really important for us to pay attention to because they can be used in a whole bunch of different ways. It really is uh, an area that uh, is a big concern for SAG-AFTRA. But, you know, uh, we should all be concerned. Is, yeah, it's a big concern for us as a society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you might have uh, Darcy had heard before. There was an example, a really a really excellent example of that I think just sort of explains to the way. Uh, rights of publicity work for members, uh, but for people at large, there was a case in New York State where uh, at a hospital, um, uh, a baby was being cared for, and this was before the use of this kind of deep fake uh, technology, mm-hmm. um, where where this baby was being cared for, and pictures were taken at the hospital, and uh, the baby's uh, photograph was used in um 
you know, ads at the mall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, really, really an important uh, uh, situation. And unfortunately, the baby passed away and the parents did not want that baby's image to be used. They had to see it. They and their family had to see it Mm -hmm. at the mall, at Mm -hmm. the supermarket. It really was terrible. Um, And the hospital actually refused to take it down. And the, the, the piece of this that's key, they refused to take it down. The parents ultimately went to court in order to get it taken down. And the judge, who was super sympathetic, felt terrible for the parents because the right of privacy uh, is extinguished when the child died. Uh, the judge was very sympathetic but said, you know, we need to actually fix these laws in mm-hmm. New York State. And that, you know, couldn't side, even though uh, the judge clearly wanted to, with the parents to make them take it down. Now that we have this use of technology um, to both bring people back to life, to use people in ways and in things that they've never done, it is something uh, that uh, the New York State legislature uh, really needs to take up in deep and meaningful ways. And uh, I'm excited to get back to work on it in this session. Mm-hmm. And that is why we are so deeply involved in this issue uh, on both fronts. And you're going to try to advance legislation to what, hold people accountable or, or try to protect people from, you know, being victimized in that way. Is that the idea? Yes, we are uh, working with and and, and uh, the AFL-CIO uh, here in New York State has been a huge supporter of uh legislation in terms of digital image and voice rights uh, uh, bill. So we, I, I will be seeing you up in Albany soon uh, back on this topic again, because uh, it really is the time to, to get it done. Rebecca Damon, the National Executive Vice President of SAG-AFTRA and President of SAG-AFTRA's New York Local. We really appreciate you taking the time. And um, we'll have to catch up with you again, because I think there's going to be a lot of things happening over the next couple of years. So thank you for coming uh, on the podcast. I love that. Thank Thank you very much. Joining me on the podcast now is our digital director, Kevin Eitzman. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. Boy, there is so much to keep up with with technology in particular and in this industry represented by SAG-AFTRA. And they're really at the forefront of it. Yeah, it's great to see a union that is paying attention to what's affecting their members and really be out front legislation and and talking to members and figuring out how to respond to this and and make sure that they're representing them in the best way possible. It's part of what we see with us in the gig economy too, right? Mm -hmm. Like labor is... Uh, is paying attention and and then we're moving fast and you know as legislation comes out for deep fake and uh, digital image rights and gig economy it's all going to be up on our website as legislation gets released right and we have to be on top of it just because of that pace that it's changing so quickly so I know we should just uh, ask our listeners if everybody can keep track because there will be legislation out there and Kevin you're always posting on our uh, social media site so we'd love it if you can uh, help us make the changes that are are needed to be made to uh, make this better uh, for the workers absolutely all right thanks Kevin thanks Darcy Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State unions strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. 
Until next time, stay union and stay strong.